Welcome to the Ripple Fishing Report. I'm your host, Brad Long. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Ripple Fishing Report. And uh, on today's show, we're going to talk to Captain Justin Leake over in Panama City. How you doing, Captain Justin? Pretty good, Brad. How about yourself? Man, I got no complaints. Um, it's uh, It feels like spring, and, uh, and that's, that's what I've been waiting for, you know? Yeah. When you say feels like spring, you mean it feels like, like every season in one week? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we go from winter to, like, the dog yeah. days of summer <laughs> yep. and tornadoes and everything in between. And lots of wind. Yes, that's right. yes lots yep. of wind. That That is definitely a theme for March, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, the, the only – positive i see out of this wind and these fronts that come through this time of year is we usually pick up some water temperature like right now you have a big southeast wind here on the coast yeah and it starts to push that warmer water up here and uh you know it just kind of it, it it makes you take a couple of days off because it'll get so extreme you just can't fish in it yep but the the results are warmer water lots of new bait and tons of new fish showing up so i'm yep. okay with that trade-off yeah and you know i do it's funny this podcast gets me thinking about the the natural world outside of the ocean and things like that because we talk so much about it um, yeah and, it, and it's kind of neat when you think about this time of year you know with all the piling and all the stuff well in order for the natural world to act in the order it's meant to act in i mean wind has to spread that stuff and and, it, and it, just, it makes perfect sense why we have like a windy march well you're exactly right that, i mean it doesn't just it doesn't do itself you know what i mean it ha, there has to yeah. be some things that take place and it's just interesting i mean just to, doing this podcast has made me look at the world a little bit differently like that you know yeah and i don't know if there's any logic to that i mean i don't know if it's scientific or what but it makes sense you know yeah, no, I think I think it's part of a plan, you know, that that we go through these seasons like this. And like you said, that's a great way to think about it. You know, um, this weather uh, drives, I mean, it's springtime. There's a lot of breeding going on in the fish world, the animal world, yeah. plant world, all of the above. And, you know, these big tides and lots of current on the beach, uh, I think helps a lot of fish spawn yeah. happen. Yeah, Um you know, it helps migrations. Um, you know, those cobias get to just float along on a big southeast wind right up here to the coast. Yeah, that's true. And uh, or are they used to? No, they're actually. <laughs> so that was to, to get, kick off the actual fishing report okay. part. There have been a few cobia caught along the Panhandle. Okay, where uh, in, which in, is a big, big deal around here. Now you're saying Panhandle and not Panama City. So, no, the so. so I, where, where, I don't know it, if there was an official first one, but I know yesterday there was a few caught. Um, I don't know yeah. which time what was caught. Um, uh, a, a Panama City guy here, um, Don McGowan, caught one. Okay. Um, so that was the first one on a boat that I've heard of actually being landed. You know, you hear a couple, somebody saw one but didn't catch and yeah. stuff like that. But but I saw the picture. Um, you know, it was a, a caught fish. Uh, right here outside our pass so i mean it was uh right here on the beach uh not not off a wreck 20 miles offshore yeah doing doing what it should be doing that's right a legit cobia catch and uh right here at the end of march never dreamed we'd make it this far into the month till someone caught one yeah (laughs) so so maybe we'll have a little uh migration this year maybe maybe that's a good sign yeah maybe so and you know i gotta tell you that's the first one i've heard about as well um, yeah. from, from any of you guys or even just on social media and the things you see pop up from other people. And I, I haven't seen 
anything. So that's the first cobia. Um, yeah, and, yeah. So I'm gonna call that the first one too. And yeah. and I did hear of a couple more caught, but uh, like one was down at the west end of the beach here, um, but I never saw a picture of it or a confirmation. So I don't know if there was a couple more that were just hearsay yesterday, but but possibly there could have been a few other ones caught too. So yeah. Well, let's, that's, let's hope there was. Yeah, that's good news, man. I mean, it's uh, that's one of those fisheries that it needs some help, you know, and. and I don't know why. But, <laughs> I, don't either. I don't know. I don't know the answer. I just know that every year I, I hold out this hope that it's just going to, we're going to break the the cycle of the slow years and all of a sudden it's going to pick back up. I feel like we've done our part. We've caught and released a lot of them. Um, we've, we've kind of taken the pressure off of them. Yeah. So I, I know the lack of Kobe right now is we're not, we're not causing it. Um, right. We're not out there, you know, hauling in boatloads of them all through the springtime. Um, you know, we just, I'm sure there's some cotton kept. And I would say most years, if I catch through the year, you know, 10 to 15, which, you know, might sound like a fair amount for, for somebody that Kobe fishes, most of those are through the summer, just while we're on wrecks and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, but but we let most of them go. Um, so I feel like we're doing our part. You know, we're doing what we can, and the numbers just don't seem to come back. Yeah, yeah, so. it's it's one of those things, man. It, it, I mean, even <clears throat> let's say that was enough of an impact to 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 see. You know what I mean? Like yeah. everybody's doing that. There's enough people participating in that scenario that that it's working. You know? Yeah. And uh, I I mean honestly, it's one of those situations that. They don't have. Uh, I lost my train of thought, Justin. So we'll let's, okay. My, well, my, my well, phone, well my back phone, on the my phone beeped. Okay, <laughs> it hey, my mind. Yeah, well, back on the cobia thing. Um, you know, it's a migratory fish. It's not something that that hangs out in the same spot that we go wipe out. And usually, fish that have problems from humans affecting the numbers are fish that that live in one location a lot of these highly migratory fish they're they're real uh, they're real hard to overfish because they're always on the move and they cover a lot of ground and and the populations are in the ocean you know like the open oceans and um so it is kind of weird to to put the pressure on us to kind of like help the population um I know what I was going to uh, say. I, 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 well, I really never have thought that it was us keeping them that that kind of brought the numbers down. But um, I think it's just a cycle, and yeah. hopefully, hopefully the cycle corrects itself. But all right, let's hear what you had yeah. To say. So here's my thought. My apologies. My phone beeped. It completely sidetracked me. So anyway, um, I'm wondering if you, you know, by doing that, if you have enough people participate that it actually would you see it? Because like you just said, um, I don't think that's the problem. Yeah, I don't either. I, really I, mean, don't. I mean, frankly, it's all you can do locally, right? So, that's it, and I that's, mean, that's why I do. That's why I do it, and I guess that sounds kind of stupid when I sit here and say I don't think it's us doing it, but I still p- participate in this idea of catch and release, trying to help. And the reason is because, yeah, I don't think that we cause that problem, but I do also know we. It doesn't hurt if if we try to help the few that are around, right. you know. If 
So I feel like, you know, yeah, I would never get on some of the, oh, you shouldn't keep those. You know, we right. catch and release those. That's fine. I mean, I, I'll keep one or two every year. Um, I love eating them. Yeah. They're great eating. I love catching them. It's, it's just one of those things that I go, hey, most of the time, if I'm on a charter and we catch one, catch two or something, I encourage people to release them just to try to be part of the solution. Right. But if they said, no, we want to take one home and eat it, I go, okay. I'm yeah. not, you know, hey. Yeah. No big deal because I know that they're a fast growing fish. Like I said, they, they cover the, the world's oceans. I think they're one of the most widespread fish in the world. I mean, you can catch cobia anywhere in the world other than maybe extremely cold climates. Really? I never yeah. knew that. And I guess I never knew. Yep. I knew they were, you know, up and down the coast of Florida, particularly south. And and then the yep. same thing. Well, I mean, like you go offshore and there's oil rigs and things off Louisiana and in and, and, and the Gulf. And they catch them there year round too, don't they? That's that's right. Yeah. So, and then you know, you get down in South Florida, the further south you go, same kind of situation where they're always there. And then some of them are migrating. The, I guess the mature females, right, would be the migrant, or is it all of them? I don't know. It's but, pretty much all of them. Both, yeah. yeah, both of them migrate. But but when you look at most fish species, um, you know, like even tunas, like certain species of tunas, they usually favor a certain uh, ocean, you know, right. or or billfish or jacks, you know, like uh, they have different jacks in the Pacific than we have in the Atlantic and the Gulf. And, right. And, and some tuna, you know, like yellowfin tunas are in the Atlantic and the Pacific, but you'll have certain uh, like blue fins that are only in certain part of the ocean. So, so a lot of them are fairly specific to a, a certain type of the ocean, you yeah. know, like in the Pacific, they got striped Marlin. We don't have stripes here, but we got white Marlin. Right. Um, but the cobia is one of those that, that really covers like all the oceans of the world. Right. And, and it's the same cobia. Cause even tarpon, there's what, two or three species. I there think. is. And there's none of them that are native to the Pacific. Yeah. Um, there, there are a very few tarpon in the Pacific, but that's only because man cut a canal through Panama right? <laughs> and, and some of them swam through there from the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. that's but, true. But other than that, they, they wouldn't be there. So it's the same thing. They had their little territory, the Caribbean and the Atlantic and the Gulf and uh, you know, yeah. other than people messing that up, they would have stayed there, but yeah. They, yeah. We opened the door for them. So they, uh, they explored, you know, it's, uh, and snook yeah. are the same way snook. There's a couple of species of snook. I think there's one right. that's, that's in the, you know, Mexico, Belize type area. And then there's yeah. one that's in Florida and you wouldn't know the yeah. difference unless you really know. Yeah. I'm about to say, I'm not a snook pro, but I believe in Florida, we have like three or four different species of snook just in the state of Florida. Yeah. There's a lot. And yep. you know, there's some areas where a lot of them overlap and you can catch multiple different kinds. And yep. you know, your, your everyday guy like me that doesn't know a lot about snook because we don't have them up here. Yep. Um, you know, I wouldn't know the difference, between them, but those guys that fish them down there, they can, they can certainly tell you which ones you're, you're catching. Yeah. I think the, the ones I've seen and I, and not even in person, just online or something, it has a lot more to do with like body shape. They, yeah, they look is. the same. It's like one stubbier and fatter and one's yeah. more elongated. It's, it's tarpon snook, a fat snook, a common snook. Yeah. Maybe yeah. another one. I don't know. And I want to say tarpon are probably very similar. It, it's a subtle yeah. difference. Yeah, um, it is. That's, that's right. You know, <clears throat> so First Cobia on the board, man, that's, that is big news, especially like you were saying, I mean, in a time when, I mean, you know, somebody's going to catch them, right? But yeah. the numbers aren't really there to feel great about it. So to, right. to hear of one this early is kind of yeah. encouraging, you know? Yeah. 
And I know there's some boats out there, even in all this wind and, and weather, now that there's one been caught, there's boats. Uh, I know some boats that were going out looking today. So, yep. that's, you know, that's, some of these windy Southeast days like this that are really rough are some of the best days. Those fish will get up on the surface and float and surf these swells. And some of the best days I've had cobia fishing were on these these days that most people would not dream of going fishing. Yeah, I have a, a an uncle of mine that that taught me a lot about uh, saltwater inshore fishing, and uh, he used to tell me a southeast wind is the day you want to go yeah. cobia fishing because it blows them in closer to the beach and they float up higher and just everything you said. But it sort of it makes them easier to sort of narrow down where they might be. You know. Yeah, you can see them better, and yeah. they like to stay up on the surface. If if they have to swim into the wind and the swell and the current, they'll duck down near the bottom, yeah. and uh, and and stay down there. It's just like anything else. They're they're trying to go a long distance, and they're trying to get there burning the fewest calories possible. So if they can get up on the surface with a tailwind, and uh, and just cruise and let the wind and the current pull them along, they'll do that. Yeah, if they. If it turns out of the West, then they'll get on the bottom and, and try to, you know, stay out of that current. So, yeah. Makes so sense. these are good. South and East winds are, are good for cobia fishing or, or really fishing any migratory fish here along the panhandle. Yeah. And that, that makes sense too, with tarpon and everything else, just for the same, same thing with the tarpon. Yep, yeah, exactly. They're lazy. They yeah. don't want to work harder than they that's, have to. That's it, man. That's it. And Hey, look, it's the difference in running uphill or just running around it. You know what I yep. mean? Like it's, I mean, I wouldn't run uphill if I don't have to. I wouldn't run at all. Exactly. So. Yep. You got, yep. That's a, that's just, just nature yep. trying to take the easy route. So, um, so since we're on the topic of Kobe, I yeah. want to, I want to pick your brain. Cause, um, since obviously I think everyone would agree, we're going to, you're going to experience limited shots if you go chase Kobe. Yep. Um, so uh, there's obviously bait, I mean, pinfish, live eels, big old jigs. There's all kinds of proven ways to catch them what's your what's your favorite way so if you get that one shot what's the bait you're gonna put in front of them um you know it depends on the conditions and it depends on the fish which is why i have when i'm cobia fishing and i still do a little bit um not as as much as when it was good back in the day yeah. but back then i did it a lot i did it enough to have some really dialed in techniques but basically i'm gonna have four rods that are like really ready to go not like go grab one like within arm's reach that i can pick up and cast immediately okay and and i'm gonna have two jig rods and Take your jig of choice. To me, a jig's a jig. Right. Um, you're usually looking at like a one and a half to two ounce jig head, pretty heavy. Yep. Um, you can cast them 10 miles. I like bright colors that I can see in the water. I don't think that fish really cares. A cobia that's going to eat a jig, in my opinion, is going to eat about any jig that hits the water. Yep. I've, when we used to really catch them good, I'd have some jigs that I'd caught 15 fish on, and there wasn't hardly any hair left on it. It was just a out a blank jig head yeah and they'd still bite it fine <laughs> so so the concept with the jig is to me it days like today it's really windy yeah. we're seeing a fish way out away from us it's, he's surfing down a wave and i'm just taking i'm chunking out in front away out in front of him yeah because i know that fish is if he sees that jig he's probably gonna go bite it yeah yeah, and he's usually they, gonna just dive down on it and just hammer it. Yeah, because and they're so a curious they, fish. So oh yeah, they, they yeah, don't, they, they'll go investigate that. That's it. So yeah. under those circumstances, if that fish is out there a ways and it's rough, 
I'm not going to wait around for a shot. I'm taking the immediate shot I can get right then. And most of the time, that first shot, if you get out in front of them, if you bomb them and spook them or land behind them, it might not work. So always there, just make sure you get out in front of them. When that jig splashes down in front of them, normally as soon as he sees it, he's diving down on it and you got him. So uh, that's my first two. I'm going to have two of them ready to go out there just in case something tangles up. And I can grab the second one. I, and, you know, usually you got two people at least in the tower. Yeah. And so, so you usually got a, a backup where they're ready to go. Yep. Now, on a nice or calm day, um, you see a fish floating. You got a little more time. It's a little more controlled environment. I'm going to have two live bait rods. Um, I like a, a live bait hook, which is a, a live bait hook. Every brand pretty much makes one. It's about halfway between a J hook and a circle hook. Yeah, it's like a little stubby. Like, yeah, it's a short shank, yeah. and the point does actually curl back in towards the shank like a circle hook, but it doesn't curve all the way back uh, like perpendicular to the shank. But so, so you close. have to set it. it it's not going to find yeah, its way. Well, yeah, well, it, to me, it's halfway between. Yeah. So, so it probably does in the lip, it, but you just Yeah, to, that's yeah. it. So I fish it like a circle hook by when it gets bit, I reel tight. And once I real tighten the rod loads up and there's actually drag coming off, then I'll actually set the hook like a J hook. I'll hit them hard a couple of times. Yeah. It's also the same hook I use tarpon fishing. Um, any big fish to me, um, I want hooked in the corner of the mouth and a J hook is just going to hook pretty much anywhere in the mouth. And I just, I hate not knowing where that fish is hooked. And then I also hate with a circle hook when you, you know, you hook, you have a, a fish, a big fish you've been trying to get to bite, he bites, and you reel and you just pull it out of the, their mouth. And that happens sometimes. Yeah. And to me, that live bay hook is the perfect middle ground between those two. Yeah. That makes sense. I've got some of those, but I don't really use them that much. And I probably should when I am bait fishing, at least sometimes, because yeah. people get a little bit, when you have inexperienced uh, saltwater anglers and you try to explain, you try to explain away everything they were taught their whole life about brim, catching brim, yeah. bass, and catfish, all the things everybody's done as a kid in the South, they yeah. all start snatching. And, and right. you, you have to you have to mess up a few before you realize, like, oh, yeah. see what you did there? You reeled down. You didn't, you don't, That's it. you know. And, and so it would probably be beneficial, I know for you, because you're dealing with that every day. This is just me and yeah. my friends, but um, it definitely happens. And so if you could eliminate that, so you could sort of incorporate a little bit of both of the action. That's that, right. You know, like it makes sense. Yeah. And you can do it wrong. You can either set the hook or let's say you just don't do anything and not set the hook at all and just reel. Um, the, to me, the, neither of those are correct for a live bait hook. Yeah. One, one setting the hook would be okay for a J hook and then just reeling is, is okay and preferred for a circle hook. But to me, you can do either of those with live bait hook and still have some success. Right. But if you'll do it like this, it's like I said, a combination of the two, you reel first, which is going to get that hook. Let's say the fish has swallowed that bait down to his gut. Yeah. When you, when you just reel first, it's going to slide that hook out to the corner of his mouth. And then once it hits that corner of his mouth, that's when your rod loads up. And then now you can set the hook and really drive it in there. And that hook is going to be around the jawbone bone of that fish. And that to me is what makes, makes it where you can take a very small hook. And when it loops around the jawbone of that fish, that's when you got them locked on there. And very few of those come undone. Yeah. That makes sense. Do they, does it penetrate a tarpon? It will. Yeah. Yep. 
Because that, sure. that would be – Certainly will. What, and not to get off of Kobe because that's sort of the, the theme we've landed yeah. on. But when you – so let's say for a tarpon, what size? And I know the bait will determine some of that, but it's such a – It does. Stub, that's right. But, but it's such yeah, a stubby hook, have. man. If you don't get one yes. wide enough, I mean, a tarpon's mm. got a thick mouth. It's like nah, metal so, plate. Light circle hooks, um, live bait hooks don't seem to have a real standard size. Um, but the ones that I fish – um, it's a 4.0 hook, but if you have like a bass hook or a J hook in your mind, a 4.0 sounds pretty big. It's when not. you see a 4.0 live bay hook, it's tiny. Yeah. I mean, it it's is, like the size of your thumbnail or something. It is about the size of your thumbnail. That's yeah. right. It is tiny. So like I usually fish between a 4.0 and a 7.0 live bait hook. Um, again, depending on the size of the bait. So if I'm throwing like a, a hand size chofer, I'm usually at like a five O or six O yeah. or a, a big thread fin herring or something like that. That's when I'm gonna get like a seven O. Um or Kobe fishing sometimes we'll we'll have some uh, ruby red lips. Yeah. Um something like that. Or or any type of larger bait, a squirrel fish or something like that. Yeah. And then that's when I'm gonna fish like a seven O. Um, and then some of the smaller baits, I'll get all the way down to like a four O or five O. Yeah. So it's, it's really, really, uh, a relatively small hook when you look at the bait size that I'm fishing them on and the size fish you're trying to target. Yeah. No kidding. I mean, cause so, you're already, even if you're using like a, a seven or eight alt, you know, circle hook or even a J hook, yeah. you still look at that and you think this is going to pick up fish that are pushing 200 pounds potentially. Yeah. You yeah. know, like that's a, that's and a big mouth the good and a thing big is, fish. Most live bait hooks. Um, I mean, I fish some like uh, Trocar uh, makes a good live bait hook. Yeah. VMC makes a good live bait hook. Mustad, I mean, Mustad to me was kind of like the original live bait hook. It's yeah. a, <laughs> they're extremely cheap. Yeah. Um, you can buy them in like a, a regular bronze finish or stainless. I usually sit with the bronze finish just so that if you do have to leave it in the fish, it'll rust out quickly. Yeah. But uh, but when you look at the hook, you're gonna think it's tiny. But if you look at the the wire diameter, most all those live bait hooks that I just named out have a really heavy wire hook, and yeah. I mean you're not gonna straighten one out and never have. Yeah, and and the way they're built too, there's not enough shank there. You couldn't the physics wouldn't That's make right. sense for you to be able to straighten one of those out. You know? Yeah. Um, but that's interesting, man. I I find myself um going with circle hooks for everything. But just this year, when we went down to Homosassa, I used just a standard, um, for the kids mainly, I put just yeah. a standard little, you know, number one, one-all uh, J-hook just for yeah. a little shrimp, little dead shrimp under a cork, you know. And that way they're not coming off. I kind of thread them on Yeah, there. that's right. And, um, and they didn't come off as easy. So it, it actually worked out pretty good. And I was like, you know, maybe I should uh, – because then, you know, I mean, look – I'm, and I'm I'm thinking about my my daughters are getting more, my youngest particularly she's seven she's she's really interested in going fishing with me, and yeah. they see us do things on the boat and they see they've seen me catch big redfish and they you know so they want to get in on some of that but the fish are just too big for these little girls you know what I mean yeah right now and um but I want to get them in you know I, I love the I remember being a little kid and you know your cork moves and you snatch it well you miss it oh know? yeah but I mean that was that kept you engaged and kept you doing something and I thought well you know this circle hook thing's great but I need to get the kids setting the hook you know what I mean just kind of yes. going through how this works and why you do it and all that then we can worry about circle hooks and all this other stuff so I don't yeah. know I think I'm going to kind of do that with them uh a little yeah bit. 
I'm about to say, try try the live bait hook thing out. It's the perfect man. I, I love the the versatility of it. I mean, yeah. I use it king fishing, um, flatlining baits, red fishing. I mean, I, I use them for for most everything. The only thing time I honestly the only time that I fish a circle hook is when we're bottom fishing, and the only reason I fish it then is because it's required by law. Yeah, I was going to say I that... would be the first to say I think it's a stupid law. I mean, I get the intent of it, and I like the intent of the law. Right. So let me let me <laughs> take a step back. I do like the intent of the, the law, but uh, I don't, and I don't know that a J hook is a great hook for a, a bottom fishing, especially with so much stuff these days that we have to catch and release. Yeah, you know, snapper mainly, trigger fish, amberjacks, all that stuff. Yeah. So, but I wish within that rule, within that law, I think that they should include the live bait hook. And the reason is you actually got hooked. A lot of times you're going to go hook less fish with a live bait hook because you can go ahead and just reel down right when you get the bite and hook fish. Where with a circle hook, a lot of times you miss a fish, you miss a fish. And a, a lot of people I see, they just sit there and just let them eat them, let them eat them, you know down into the gut and then you end up gut hooking them even with a circle hook. Yep. So the, the live bait hook to me is it works a lot like a circle hook, but like you were saying, it's a, if you do set the hook, you're not out of the game. Most of the time that's going to work still. Yeah. And let's all face it. I mean, setting the hook, like you were just saying, it's fun. Yes. I love it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's that would, and partially it was self-serving. It's like, you know what? I like to bow up on something every now and then. Yeah. You know, I mean, especially yep. if it's going to be sizable and, and you're going to really yeah. get into it, you know? Um, yeah. But yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting, man. I've gotten some of those and I've kind of wondered like, all right, well, what, what do I do with these? I mean, I know what to do with them, but you know what I'm saying? Like, what's the, best use yeah. case for these so now i know man that's uh that's awesome and it's so funny i've i'm 42 years old i've fished every year of my life and uh and it's been a passion of mine as long as i can remember yeah and you know i'm looking at these hooks saying what the hell do i do with this bait hook <laughs> i mean how weird is that but that's how this is there's so much it's just information yeah. and stuff you know Oh so where all this really started at, though, was supposed to be talking about the baits, and I guess I never really got to that. We got <laughs> all excited about these hooks, which I think is good to talk about because that is one of those things that people never really think about. And, um, and I'll tell you where the, the, the live bait hook really got started was a big private boat that I used to fish on. We fished a lot of treble hooks, Kobe fishing. Now, again, this is, you know, 20-something years ago. Um, this – the – the big, I'm talking a legit big old sturdy treble hook with a live eel on it was hard to beat. I yeah. mean, you're talking about a rig that has caught tens of thousands of cobias in the Florida Panhandle. And I mean, a lot of, of these 100 pound plus cobias um, were caught on a uh, a pin 706 with a 30 pound mono and a. Uh, a big treble hook with a live eel on it. That was the standard. You want to go catch you a big old cobia. If you could find one, that was what you were going to catch them on. But one problem we would have sometimes you throw it out there, cobia eats it. You, you set the hook, set the hook, and then he comes off. And what happens, we call it a monkey fist where sometimes that eel would just roll up in a ball on that treble hook. Yeah. And all of a sudden you had a big knot of an eel covering the the points of the treble hook and there was nothing to hook in the fish's mouth yeah and and so that's when we got into fishing these big live bait hooks was so that he wouldn't 
Okay. And you that, know, wad up on, on a treble hook. Yeah, and, and, I, and I bet you the hookup ratio didn't change all that much. It didn't, and I felt like once once you got him on there, like I said, it's locked all the way around his jaw instead of just snagged in the skin in his mouth somewhere. Yeah. And, you know, you just – typically once you got him hooked, they stayed on really well. So I, I really fell in love with it. That's what turned me on to the live bait hook, and I've carried that over to other things, um, especially the tarpon thing too. But talking about the back to the bait, and of course, a live veal is always going to be like one of the best cobia baits ever. The only the couple things is they're kind of hard to handle. Yep. Um, nowadays, it's not even hardly worth keeping them on board because uh, you're just the opportunities are so few and far between. And then there was also an inconsistency with sizes. Um, if they're too small, they're hard to cast because they're too light. If they're too big, they sling off the hook a lot. So there wow. was, if you had the right size, again, I'm not knocking the eel thing because, man, I've caught a lot of cobias on live eels. And and I've seen fish that wouldn't hardly look at anything. And all of a sudden, you get a really spunky eel that tries to take off and run, and he just couldn't help it. He'd go bite it. Yep. So, so I've seen the effectiveness of that. But I would have to say that nowadays, I'm not willing to go through the trouble to go get them and, and deal with them. Um, so my, my go-to bait right now, if I was going to go throw a, like, let's say I threw the jig first, he wouldn't eat it. Or I could just see a really nice fish and it was calm. And I knew I had time, um, to get a bait in front of them. It would be a Ruby red lips, that, really? uh, a hand size Ruby red lips. They cast good. They got enough weight to them. You can sling them pretty good. They got a really strong nose to them, um, so they don't sling off the hook. Yeah, and they make a good grunting sound, and I think they really aggravate a cobia. And I've, I've thrown pinfish to cobias and had them refuse them, and then throw a ruger red lips to them, and they'll hammer them. So that's really? that's probably my top current day cobia bait. So I got to tell you, um, I'm glad I asked that uh, because I number one, I wanted your opinion because I've always heard eels are the way to go. I'm not going to yeah. go buy a bunch of eels and deal with that for the one time I'm down there trying to go after, you know what I mean? I'm just not going to yeah. do that. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I don't even know where you get them. I mean, I see signs sometimes like the half inch or somewhere. But oh yeah. They don't yeah the tackle stores them, here you know? carry them sometimes. Right. But... So it's not a consistent, you know, not no, like not. it probably used to be when it was yeah. the thing to get and everybody's down there cobia fishing in March, you know? Yeah. Um, I didn't know. I've caught ruby red lips on, you know, wrecks and stuff, and I put them back yeah. down as bait, but I, I've never heard of anybody using one for cobia bait. Oh, yeah. And every wreck around here, the closest wrecks, I mean, there's wrecks a mile off the beach here and in 50 feet of water. Every one of them has a ruby red lips on them. So it's one of those things that's it's super easy. A little it, piece of squid or shrimp or anything, drop yeah. it down catch four or five of them, eight or 10 of them, put them in the live well and you're on your way fishing. Yep. And you know, it's, uh, Lionel, you, uh, last year, year before he was telling me he uses them for amberjack bait. Oh yeah. Rex and stuff. And I, you awesome know, amberjack bait. yeah, that's the first time I'd heard of, uh, about using them as bait. Um, and, I, yeah. and it's just, I'm, uh, you know, I've said it before offshore is not what I know the most about. Yeah. So that's, that's why, you know, but <clears throat> that's awesome, man. And I, you look, it's, I mean, if there's a time to be optimistic, it's right now because it's yeah. early cobia season, and you know what? So far, it's going as planned. You know, it's it's mid-April. You know, two weeks from now, when we should be seeing way more numbers, and they're not there. That's when we say, okay, nothing's changed. Yeah. But I mean, hey, look, man. Uh, I mean, maybe they just change their habits, and it's a cyclical thing, like you said. And if that's the case, then you know, one year, one day, they'll they'll show back up and become a that's leader right. again. You know. Uh, hey, we're going to keep watching out for them every year, and, and we'll know when, when that happens. But 
Um, on the same migration front, um, man, everything else is really starting to let loose. The the Spanish mackerel this past week were strong. Um, personally, that's not one of my favorite things to do. So right. I, I try not to do it much, and I didn't have to this week, so I was happy about that. But I, <laughs> I know a lot of our guys did some some Spanish trolling and, and caught good numbers of them. Yeah. Um, Pompano uh, have made a little showing. They've been kind of spotty you know you'll have a, a wave come through and and everybody will catch a few and then the next two or three days none are caught and um and then same thing with the kingfish on the pier they caught a few kings and there had been none caught by people on boats um but yesterday i was getting gas at pirates cove and a guy there was cleaning the first kingfish of the year as far as i know that anybody on a on a boat has caught so so yeah everything is waking up isn't it Yep. I mean, so we checked a bunch of boxes this week. Yeah. And, and what's funny, it's so crazy, man. I mean, when we talked, I mean, we took last week off, but then, you know, so two weeks ago, we said when we talk again, it's yeah. probably going to be a different conversation. And lo and behold, things have kind of turned on, you know? Yeah. That's awesome, man. I, I'm ready. I'm, I know you are, but I'm ready for, uh, for tarpon season to kick off. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I'm, and I'm almost hesitant to even get out on the beach and, and do a little cobia looking because it never fails. I'll find one little water tarpon somewhere yep. and they'll be angry. I mean, that water's cold still. Yeah. I say cold. It's, it's 68 to 70 degrees depending on the time of day. It's cold to a tarpon. Um, yeah, so to, to us, it's warming up nicely, but in tarpon terms, yeah, it's still cold. Yep. And it's so funny. These fish, you can tell, they're like just screaming by they're just so unhappy they're they're in such a bad mood they can't figure out why they got here so early and and they won't bite but yep. it always as soon as i see a first group my mind's messed up for the rest of the year so right now i'm thinking clearly and, <laughs> right. and i'm trying to just not even i don't even want to see one yet because <laughs> as soon as i do all of a sudden you know i'll have a group of people wanting to go red fishing and as much as i would normally love to take them i'm like no nah, we should probably go yep. make sure there's no tarpon cruising on these beaches today <laughs> Yep, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I said it last year, and uh, I didn't really see it through. But this year, I'm gonna try to hit it hard um, right. this tarpon season. Uh, you know, last year I kind of let the weather get in the way, or if it was windy, or if the, you know, the, <laughs> the surf was too high, and all this. It's like, look, I, and this year it's gonna have to be like, all right, grab a raincoat and find something to hang on to because we're doing this. Yeah, you know? and I think if you, you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never go. Well, that's it, and and you know, part of it is. I'm in a smaller boat. So yeah. when it's a moderately rough day, it feels severely rough on a 16 yeah. foot skiff. You know what I mean? But yeah, and, look, it's and that is true. I mean, you don't want to push it. No. And, but the thing is at the same time, the reality that most modern day boats, it's not like you're going to sink and have a serious issue. You're going to be uncomfortable. So yeah. suck it up, go look for tarpon, be uncomfortable, and be real comfortable when you hook up one of those bad boys. You exactly. know what I mean? That's that's how I'm going to try to go into this this year with it. Yeah. Um, but, hey, we'll see. So life gets in the way, right? Yeah. Well, man, I appreciate the update, and I appreciate you sharing the information because, look, if there's a time to talk about Cobia, this is about it in the panhandle. <laughs> you know what I mean? Talk about it now, and then we'll see if they show up or not. And then they'll be, and you know, I tell you that same rig, keep it ready to go all year. I mean, I know a, a lot of people do, but, uh, the rig I'm talking about is, is let's say a six Oh five Oh live bait hook somewhere in there. Yep. Um, on a spinning rod with 30 pound, 40 pound braid, you know, 40 pound fluorocarbon leader. Um, and then just simply that, that 
one hook. Just keep it in a rod holder ready to go all the time. Most of our really cool catches that you see, whether it's a, a blackfin tuna or a sailfish or a big cobia, um, a lot of those, or even a lot of the, the bigger mahis we catch that year, all those fish, I shouldn't say all, most of those fish are not planned. Yep. It, they just, the opportunity shows up and I don't ever have to rig a rod for, for all those fish I just named. Yeah. It's that's, all the same rig. That's very I true. just grab whatever bait is, is the quickest at hand. I stick it on that thing and pitch it out in front of them. And, and pretty much everything I just named off comes off that same exact rig. It's a small hook. It's stealthy. Um, you know, light leader. I usually fish 30 pound braid, 30 pound fluorocarbon. It's kind of my go-to on my, that's just that rod. I always keep ready to go. Yeah. Um, so, so take that same rig that maybe you would use for a cobia, but, but once cobia season's over, let's say once we get on into May or something, don't cut that off and tie something stupid on there. Just keep that rig ready to rock year round. And if you do, if you're out there on the water long enough, you're going to, you're going to have a cool opportunity and if that rig right there will catch pretty much any fish that swims. Well, and you know something else, Justin. I mean, if you depending on what you're doing, I mean, if you're if you're on the beach and you're targeting pompano or, yeah. or anything like that, and you're using lighter rods, I mean, yeah. if a school of bull redfish show up, if a school of big jack show up, yeah. any of that stuff. I mean, I, I just bought uh, my 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 number two tarpon rod. It's actually my number yeah. one, but it's my smaller, <clears throat> a little more compact. Not not compact. Uh-huh. It's a smaller reel. Um, sure. And I wanted it to throw those big jerk baits, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so, um, but that's going to be the rod I do this with. Yeah. And I've been kind of doing that. Whenever I go out, I take it just because it's like all my inshore stuff is awesome. It serves its purpose. But when you yeah. got to get into something that's substantial, that's not just yeah. a trout or redfish or something like that, you, you got to have the gun to do it. And that's what, that's where that comes in. That's great advice. Yeah. Yeah. And and most of the time you're just not going to have the time to re-rig, no. you know, a school of something cool shows up or, or a really cool big fish shows up. You just usually don't have the time, but if you can just hook a bait on, pitch it straight out immediately, a lot of times you're going to, you're going to get a, that bonus bite that you uh, wouldn't have gotten. And I'll, I just want to point out for those of us that think we're good at tying knots in the wind and the waves and all this, you do this for a living, and you're saying you're not good enough. I'm not good enough. Don't try to do you, that. Have a rod picked up. I mean, you could probably yeah. tie this stuff up in your sleep, you know, like literally. And yeah. uh, and but it's still you're not fast enough to make it happen. It's time. That's yeah. it. And so that that's, fish is cruising by. Nobody's going to rig it fast enough. Have it ready. Yep, that's uh, that's great advice, man. It really is. Um. Tell us where to where to get up with you if we want to come chase tarpon or cobia or all these things that you've talked about down in Panama. Yeah, you know I always say the same stuff over and over. I actually have a, a update and something different on here, um, which is kind of funny. Just we're we're, we're fishermen, we're a little slow on this stuff, <laughs> but. Our website's PanamaCityInshore.com. You'll see it. We have eight guides in our group. Everybody's got a listing on there. A really cool network of guides that I work with. Um, but this is something for all the listeners. You know, I'm ashamed to say this, but we just started an Instagram page for our oh. Panama City Inshore group. There you go. And, you know, I'm sure most people that listen to this follow fishing pages. The difference is... Um, we had a different page that a few of us posted to way back in the day every once in a while. And then we kind of quit. But, um, so anyways, the thing that would be different about this page is it's not just me posting to it. You're going to have 
you know, multiple guides posting different things on, you know, on a daily basis. So yeah. on this one page, which is Panama city and shore on Instagram. Um, but that one page, you're going to be able to see stuff, new updates every day from different people. So you don't see the same stuff from the same person all the time. Right. That is cool. And, and, you know, and, and for the listeners, again, it's uh, it's one of those scenarios where, you know, you hear Justin and you get the updates. Sometimes I share pictures or, or from Panama City Inshore through Facebook yeah. and some of that kind of stuff. Um, but that's just from you. This is the other guys, too. So that's right. You get to see what everybody's doing. That's it. That's it. You're going to see see uh, content coming off of different boats from different captains. Um, so it's just another way to get up-to-date fishing information. Yep, absolutely. And I encourage you to follow them there. I, we Ripple has a has a uh, Instagram page, and honestly, I never, ever go on it. Um, I, lo- I started trying to go on it a little bit yeah. more. But the, see, here's my problem with it. <clears throat> Facebook, I can share, like, your stuff. Yes. I can't do that, and I don't have enough I know. It drives content. me nuts on the Instagram. Come yeah. on, Instagram. Let us share stuff around. I know. Because the thing is, if I were going to post stuff on Instagram, even yeah. I don't post stuff on Facebook all the time, but yeah. but if I were to even do it that often, I w- it would be, like, drawings or some yeah. kind of, yeah, it wouldn't be like a picture I took of something I did and then, because I just don't, yeah. I don't have enough time to gather that, you know? Yeah. And I'm not going to ask you guys, you already put it on Facebook, you got your own stuff, people can follow you there, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, follow him because that, that will help you stay on, uh, on, on top of things on that platform anyway. So that's awesome. right. Well, Justin, man, thank you. I'll get it with you next week and, uh, and hopefully we'll hear about, uh, a few more Cobia getting brought yeah. onto a boat and, uh, and uh, I appreciate you sharing your your knowledge, man. That's you. You taught me something, and and you know, it's not like I know everything, but uh, you know, something about hooks. I would have thought uh, if you said Do you know everything about hooks, I'd say yeah, probably. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, they're not that hard. And then here we are. So, well, it, it, the great thing about it is, is we're all still learning and and talking about hooks, tackle, anything else. Every year, I notice. My system's a little different, which tells me I'm constantly learning and tweaking as well. So, yep, yep. Never absolutely, ends. absolutely, man. Well, thank you, Justin, and uh, you bet. we'll talk next week. All right, good to see you. Hey, buddy, thank you. 